It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. In 1992, the Food and Drug Administration decided that genetically modified organisms were the functional equivalent of conventional foods. They arrived at this decision without testing GMOs for allergenicity, toxicity, antibiotic resistance, and functional characteristics. The aim of the feed industry is a trillion dollars of profits from royalties every year. And the aim is no farmer should have access to their own feed. The aim is every farmer should be forced into the market every year. All across our country, our people are becoming more and more conscious about the foods that they are eating and the foods that they are serving to their kids. And this is certainly true for genetically engineered foods. Americans have a right to know if their food is genetically engineered. Hello and welcome to Mad Science, the Genetic Crossroad. I am your host, Anna Kavanaugh, and I want to thank you for joining me for the broadcast tonight. Insidious Exports, the GMO Invasion Many nations in the world have become prey to the agribusiness industry as it engulfs more and more croplands around the globe. Developing countries in Africa, South America, and Asia are ripe for the picking. But how far will the push for profit and power go when it comes to the natural development of these vulnerable lands? As the corporate players of biotech and chemical agribusiness work to secure even bigger markets for themselves, what will be the ultimate impact to developing countries and ultimately to the rest of us? Over the last two decades, there has been a drastic increase in the number of debates concerning the type and extent of genetic modification applications. Along with the development of so many GM crop varieties has now come a wide range of legal, ethical, and economic questions being raised across the agriculture sector. But this hasn't quelled big agribusiness companies like Monsanto, who despite the growing body of evidence showing the dangerous effects of GMOs and the chemicals that go along with them, still continue on with their aggressive business model, pushing GM seeds and chemicals into the lands of developing countries. Countries who are vulnerable to the promises, manipulations, and outright exploitation of their resources and croplands by big corporations. Countries whose small farmers are struggling to make a living, rendering them easy targets to beguile. Countries whose economic stability depends on agricultural exports. And countries where scientific and technological bases are weak and infrastructures are underdeveloped. Now recently, there has been considerable opposition to the marketing of GM products, especially in Europe, where consumers have become much more vocal and proactive in preventing the further contamination of their farmlands and food supplies. 
They have aggressively restricted the import and spread of many GM products and have given agribusinesses the motivation to look elsewhere at other countries if they intend to experience double-digit growth percentages. And so, mega companies, Monsanto, Dow, DuPont, and others, are now refocusing on Africa, South America, and other countries throughout Asia who are ripe for accepting GM practices. The push for GMOs is being framed to developing countries in such a way that it is difficult for them to dispute. It is promoted and maintained that GM applications provide the only viable pathway to sustainable agricultural productivity and that in order to stay competitive and with the times, they had better jump on the opportunity while it's here. Many have voiced concerns of being left behind if they do not adopt these new products and practices. Even the UK Environment Minister Owen Patterson said in a recent speech that GM technology is a great benefit to farmers and that Europe risks being left behind the rest of the world unless it adopts GM crops. For decades, Monsanto has falsely advertised their products, from insecticides to DDT, even when independent research proved how horrifyingly dangerous these substances truly are. DDT was eventually banned by health authorities, overturning Monsanto's claims that it was safe. Monsanto is now advertising around Africa that their GM seeds are tested as completely safe and are designed to fit the harsh climate experienced on much of the continent. They go on to say that using their GM products will result in a financial boom for farmers and economies by enabling them to export crops to other parts of the world. They have coded the ad campaigns with the notion that by buying into these biotech products, participating countries will be solving the problem of world hunger, a topic that is especially close to the hearts of many communities in Africa. They are playing dirty by not only giving misleading information about the risks associated with GM crops and their chemicals, but by exploiting the cultural beliefs and sentiments of the people. Marion Mayette the executive director of the African Center for Biosafety says, quote, Monsanto has already been warned by the South African Advertising Standards Authority as far back as 2007 that it needs to substantiate its claims from an independent and credible expert regarding its claims of the so-called benefits of GMO crops. However, it appears Monsanto does not have much regard for South African law as it is hell-bent on disseminating false information to the South African public. End quote. Executive Director Mayette is enraged by the arrogance of corporations like Monsanto. She believes, like others, that they are trying to control the world of agriculture through falsifying information and promoting their propaganda with deep pockets. And in reaction to Monsanto's push into South Africa, the Advertising Standards Authority recently banned a Monsanto radio ad claiming that it was making unsubstantiated claims about GMOs. The Monsanto ad purported that GM crops used fewer resources and have been strictly regulated and extensively researched and tested for safety. The ad touted crop yields would increase, greenhouse gas emissions would decrease, and the need for chemical pesticides would also be less. And these claims are all contradictory to what independent scientific studies have shown. Non-GMO crops actually perform better than their GMO counterparts and use a comparable amount of natural resources. Non-GMO crops have also proven themselves through thousands of years to be safe, whereas GMOs have 
been around commercially not even for two decades yet. This alone makes the biotech industry claims about safety seem sort of ridiculous and irresponsible. The Monsanto ad went on to say that GMOs produce more food sustainably, even though their GM and chemical products are already known to be destroying butterflies, bees, and other pollinators. According to a recent statement from the African Center for Biosafety in South Africa, Monsanto is now advertising Mon810 corn, that's M-O-N-810 corn, to other African countries. They are promoting it as being a wonderfully effective and viable crop that will flourish and give huge yields if implemented. However, this corn has already failed miserably in South Africa. Independent biosafety researchers say that Monsanto got the science completely wrong. The Mon810 corn has been genetically modified to produce an insecticide that specifically targets the stem borer, which is a common African insect pest. But the inherited trait of resistance in the stem borer is a dominant gene, not a recessive one. And during the development of the corn, Monsanto wrongly assumed that the gene was recessive. And so based on this, they went forward with a GMO design and protocol that was accepted on faith at the time by South African regulators. But it has turned out to be wholly ineffective. Essentially, the stem borer developed a massive resistance to the chemicals in the corn, completely contradicting the most prominent argument for GM crops, which is being impervious to insects. But now, perhaps one of the most popular GM crops targeted for Africa is something called water-efficient maize for Africa, or WEMA, W-E-M-A, WEMA. For small farmers with few resources and having been inundated with Monsanto advertising, WEMA has been seen as a positive thing. In response, Mozambique is changing their biosafety laws to allow the drought-resistant GM corn into their country, and they are putting pressure on surrounding countries to do the same. From this, it seems clear that although there exists a growing awareness and concern about GM crops, the advertising, political pressures, and other enticements provided by the biotech industry, well, the tide seems to be moving in favor of GMO expansion in Africa. But let's step back for a moment and look more at the political picture of what is happening on a continental scale. Africa is considered by the biotech industry to be a diamond in the rough with vast sections of arable land, and Monsanto is by far the most active agribusiness company in the region and has established its headquarters in South Africa. In May of 2012, President Obama ceremoniously launched the New Alliance for Food Security and Nutrition. This is a program in which participating African countries, along with the United States and private companies, all partner together to bring 50 million people in the northern regions out of poverty over the next 10 years. They plan to do this by supporting agricultural development, which has GMO technology as its centerpiece. Well, it turns out that Monsanto was chosen to spearhead the program and have the greatest presence there. So, conveniently, in Monsanto's pursuit for more market share to increase and expand their business, it is getting a huge push from the U.S. State Department with its connections and foreign policies. What this boils down to is a familiar benefit to corporations and officials in high governmental positions, not so much the humanitarian gestures that are continually broadcast to the public. 
It is interesting to note that during the launch of the program, President Obama didn't ever mention the words GMO or biotechnology, and he also never mentioned Monsanto by name. He instead used phrases like modern agricultural methods, new technology, sustainable agriculture, and partnering, which were thought to be intentionally used words to avoid inciting any negative sentiments. However, Monsanto's CEO was there praising the president for his wisdom and compassion and also saying how lucky Africa is to be having help at long last. There are many who are convinced this program is a Trojan horse, placing American agricultural biotechnology right into the heart of Africa, which is exactly where Monsanto wants to be. Almost one year after the Food Security and Nutrition Program launch, Tanzania's president began to speak openly in support of GMOs as being life-savior-type foods for Africa. At the same time, he condemned GMO critics as being uninformed and lacking education on the matter. So it was not a surprise when President Obama skipped Kenya, which is one of the best crop regions in Africa, as one of his presidential stops and instead he went to Tanzania and then on to South Africa. See, at the time of President Obama's visit a year ago, Kenya was adamantly opposed to GMOs. Many experts believe that Obama bypassing the country was a political move to send a message loud and clear that would carve a path that would lead to GMOs spreading northward unchallenged. And, as it turns out, just recently, Kenya has now decided to embrace GMOs after being so vehemently opposed, and they will be lifting its ban by the end of the year. Did they cave to political pressure? For many years, Tanzania's friendship has been critical to the American GMO plan in Africa, and since the lower half of Africa is more arable than the desert land of the far north, the thought has been that if Monsanto controls South Africa, the most southerly part of the continent, and it controls Tanzania, which lies northeast, this would be a strategic stepping stone in controlling the entire arable region of the continent. This strategy seems to have worked, as we see not only with Kenya, but also Uganda, South Sudan, Malawi, and Zimbabwe as well. These countries are all in roughly the same region, and all are now accepting GMOs into their borders. One of the only African countries to hold steadfast to a non-GMO policy has been Zambia. For years, Zambia has rejected anything GMO, even in the face of starvation. With more than 3 million people in Zambia, nearly one-third of the country's population continually faces severe food shortages. Witnessing the plight of the people experiencing severe malnutrition there, governments of high-income countries around the world have offered food assistance. But in 2002, Zambia refused 35,000 tons of food aid from the United States because of the possibility that it might be genetically modified. Food was sent to Zambia, refused by their government, and then rerouted to neighboring countries that accepted the aid. In the same year, Zambia turned down a $50 million line of credit from the U.S. Department of Agriculture. However, the reason was that the agreement would force them to purchase GM commodities. I suppose their initial suspicions of food aid containing GMOs must have been correct. But think about that for a second. A starving country whose people are so desperately in need of food 
and the USDA is forcing them to go GMO or receive nothing. This shows a couple of things. First, that the U.S. government is interested in propagating GMOs, which is right along with Monsanto's interests. And second, it was in the name of humanitarian aid, but that disappeared when Zambia didn't comply to the U.S. agreement. Every leader since then has strongly opposed GM food or crops, calling them poison. And while this may seem noble and strong, even Zambia now appears it will soon buckle to the pressure of GMOs. The current president, Michael Seda, who succeeded the last president in 2011, has in the past criticized the government's reluctance to accept GMOs, but until now hasn't done anything to allow them into Zambia since coming into office. However, there are many within the country pushing to lift the ban, and so now there is speculation that a lifting of a GMO ban is in fact imminent. Monsanto is now expecting further growth throughout the year as they are reporting better-than-expected earnings from the start of this year. Part of the surge is due to the company's expansion into South American countries. They have developed their new Intacta soybean seed, the first of its kind designed specifically to withstand the company's popular herbicide Roundup, as well as infestations by caterpillars. Monsanto expects to have its Intacta seeds covering about 3 million acres of Brazil in 2014 and ultimately around 100 million acres of the crop between there and Argentina. Why is Monsanto having so much success in these countries despite public outcry? Just follow the money. Argentina experienced a remarkable economic recovery over the last 10 years, which was largely due to the soy boom the country's primary cash crop. Because of this, Argentina saw the fastest growth rate in South America, but it didn't come without cost, as they also experienced devastating health consequences in rural communities, resulting from pesticide exposure in proximity to GM soy cropland. Argentina used to be known as the world's granary and had an economy based on cattle and crops, producing a large variety of cereals and legumes. In the early 90s, the entire agricultural culture began to change as Monsanto moved into the country. And now, with its economic lifeline depending on GM soy production, the country is dependent on Monsanto and the biotech industry just to survive. The other serious problem resulting from depending significantly on GM soy is that there is no crop rotation happening. If the same crop is grown year after year to meet demand, the soil becomes depleted and eventually is unable to support the same crop load. Yields will start to taper off and be reduced drastically in the near future. However, instead of alternating crops to prevent such a catastrophe, the biotech solution is to engineer new GM soy that will survive the new conditions. Well, this is really a robbing Peter to pay Paul scenario and one that companies like Monsanto are exploiting. In South America alone, there are at least eight separate countries with Monsanto offices operating in them. So far, the company has targeted those that are able to produce large-scale industrialized corn and soy. In addition to Brazil and Argentina, Bolivia, Uruguay, and Paraguay are all now heavily dependent on Monsanto to supply GM soy seeds. Paraguay quadrupled its production in just one year, which is an astounding feat. But again, 
These are limited, finite trends that could never be sustained. However, they give the illusion that they will continue indefinitely. There is an ebb and flow to the complex issue of GMOs. Countries, governments, and farmers all have a stance that may change through time. Countries that were at one time completely opposed to genetic modification may become open to them, or vice versa. The common denominator to it all, though, is about money. Money to make whole economies run. Money in terms of profit for corporations. Money in terms of power and influence. Money as a livelihood for farmers or others in the agricultural industry. Money in commerce is what drives the world. Money, then, is eventually the only reason any governing body would elect to go with GMOs. Claims about their safety or using them for humanitarian uses are really nothing more but hype and justification to spread them as many places as possible. Corporations like Monsanto have never been interested in solving any human crisis because it was simply the right thing to do. They are not interested in helping a country in Africa or South America or anywhere. Their motivations are based on earnings and profits. Monsanto has the resources to wait out any situation. It's just a matter of patience. Presently, there is strong resilience to GMOs in several European Union countries. And together with the sentiments of the vast majority of consumers worldwide, it would suggest that biotech chemical companies might be losing the war. But this is deceiving. Because when we realize how frighteningly infiltrated governments and global decision makers really are by GMO industry players, we are forced to look at the reality. And it's ugly. The GM agribusiness industry, it's not going anywhere. They have the means to wait anyone out as they insidiously spread their GMO exports, influence, and control. Is there still hope that we have not reached the threshold, the point of no return, well, that question can only be answered by consumers in America and worldwide. There is still the voice of the people who can influence the decision makers. And it is the voice of the people who are the Achilles heel to this profit-driven industry who play dangerously with our health, safety, and longevity. So now we'll move on to a special segment of the show called The Listener's Voice, which is where folks out there have kindly taken the time to write into the website with their questions and comments and to close each show of the program, I'll go through as many as I can. And up first, we have a question from Sheila Winfield. Sheila writes in and says, Hi, Anna. I have a question I'm hoping to get answered. I only thought about this recently, but food costs keep going up. I assumed probably like most of us do, it was just inflation. But since GMOs have been out from what I think I understand to be the early 1990s, I'm realizing food prices have gone up a lot since then. Are GMOs making the cost of food more expensive and the prices rise faster? If that's true, doesn't that mean we're basically paying for these companies to make this poison they're feeding us? Well, hi, Sheila. Thanks so much for writing in with your really great question. As I'm sure you know, uh, fluctuations in the food market are extremely complex, so it's really very difficult to nail down exact causes to any change we might see. But you bring up a great point that lots of experts are actually examining. Since the mid-90s, uh, when GMOs sort of, you know, first came around, there have been all sorts of promises by biotech corporations that uh, using them would particularly reduce the need for pesticides and other agricultural inputs. 
Although they continue to promote this line of thinking to the public, the fact is it is costing farmers more and more to produce the same crops because pests are becoming intolerant to GMO varieties of plants. Since our agriculture system has been overhauled with GMOs, uh, with pretty much being a standard, uh, and although this did reflect early on in a reduction in farming and food manufacturing expense, it is now costing more for all. And increase in production expense is, of course, passed on to the consumer. I do want to reiterate that this is what some experts are proposing is a reason for rising food costs uh, that we're seeing, but there certainly may be others as well. Uh, I hope that uh, someone answers your question. Thanks so much for writing in. And up next, Judy Thomas writes in and says, I have grown my own vegetable garden for years, and I also grow some soul-standing fruit trees around my property and in big pots. I have never bought organic potting or garden soils because they are so expensive, and I never had a reason to justify spending the extra dollars. I know spraying my fruits and vegetables with any kind of chemical product is a no-no, and that's where most of the warnings are, and that I shouldn't use any GMO seeds. But what about the soil? Soil doesn't get into the plant, does it, as long as I wash the produce from it? Is there any kind of real justification I should spend so much extra money to buy the more expensive soils? I've always thought they were sort of gardening gimmick products. I'm getting ready to plant this month and still need to prepare my garden beds, so any light you can shed on this for me would be very appreciated. Thank you. Well, hi there, Judy. Thanks so much for your question, and it is one a lot of green thumbers are asking. Uh, The ingredients in the soil actually do make it into the plants in your garden. But the thing with industrialized soils and fertilizers like miracle Grow and others is that they're packed with chemicals that, in effect, deplete the natural soil. So as your plants uh, take off, so to speak, due to using these products, experts are saying that you're really creating a situation where your garden will need more water and more chemicals to continue producing the same amount. So, you know, boy, where have we heard that before? Does that sound familiar? Monsanto, Monsanto, wink, wink. Um, it, it, it essentially creates a cycle of dependence, ultimately leading to the necessity to use souped-up soils and other synthetic products. Uh, to the contrary, organic soils use non-synthetic chemicals and processes that target a plant's natural functioning and growth, something you know that has obviously been occurring for millennia. Uh, it's strongly suggested that consumers go this route, along, uh, of course, with other organic techniques, such as rotating the planting of your garden yearly to avoid buildup of acidity or depletion of nutrients in the existing soil. And it is also warned that using synthetic products burns plant roots uh, if it's used in excess. So that alone should be an indicator that going organic might justify the little more uh, dollars in expense. Okay, good luck with that garden. Thanks for writing into the show. And up next, we have Joseph Ford. Joseph writes in and says, Hey, Anna, I just want to say your show is a refreshing change from the Internet sources I follow. I love your no-baloney approach that's obviously well-researched and you raise a lot of points and questions to think about that other sources don't really touch. Okay, here's my question. I buy organic whenever I can. Unfortunately, my grocery store has a horrible organic section that looks so bad I wouldn't want to eat it, and I'm not near a farmer's market or Whole Foods, so I have to make special trips for those. 
I do buy a lot of Safeway's O Organics brand, even though I'm not in love with the taste of a lot of their options. But I've come to terms with that, and I do try to stay faithful to eating as organically as possible, only for health reasons, because I know what these GMOs and all the other garbage they put in our food are doing to us. This is my roundabout way of getting to my question. I buy organic lunch meat for sandwiches, and it costs me over 8 bucks. Organic produce in the store, when I can find it looking decent, is over double the price, and packaged foods in organic brands are about the same. I know everyone wants to make money, but if the organic companies, and again, I do support eating organically, but if they really care about the health of consumers because they know about all these dangers and are trying to be good companies, why are they charging us an arm and a leg that a lot of people can't even afford it, even if they want to? I've got a problem with that, and it makes me question them. Well, hi, Joseph. Thanks so much for writing in, and I really want to thank you for your very kind words about the show. Uh, you're asking a really great question here. It does seem that the organic companies producing these brands are gouging consumers. Uh, the problem, though, gets back to what it takes to market a food as organic. There are strict guidelines that any farmer or food manufacturer must abide by if they expect to meet organic standards. Uh, it is as if these standards are intentionally set so high and are so expensive that it simply doesn't make economic sense as a business to produce them. However, there are some who do it anyway based on principle. The high costs we see in most cases are due to the extreme expense that farmers and manufacturers uh, incur and must then pass on to their consumers in order to make some form of profit. However, having said that, there are many who exploit the organic label, finding loopholes in the system that allow them to jack prices up. Uh, these folks are paying much less in production costs, but are using the well-known fact that organic is just more expensive. And so they're raking it in based on consumer misperception. So it's great that you're discerning and questioning when it comes to buying organic. Um, there still are legitimate alternatives in your local store. Just make sure you check that the packaging says USDA Organic Certified. It's a little uh, sort of green and white sticker. Um, or if you're willing to take on your own research, look closely at the ingredients and sources of products labeled organic. If the advertising emphasizes the words all natural and wholesome, you might want to consider something else. That's where a lot of people get uh, confused. It has to have that label that says USDA organic certified to, to really be legitimate. Okay, I hope that helps. Thanks so much for running into the show. And with that, I've run out of time in this segment. If you would like your question or comment to be featured on the show, I would love to hear from you. Just pay a visit to the website at www.geneticcrossroadradio.com and follow the link to the listener's voice. Once there, just fill in the form and send me along your thoughts. I'll feature as many as I can during each broadcast. Your voice, it really does matter and will help make a difference in both the future of our food and our human health. This show is a conversation, and that's where all change begins. So let's get talking. I also want to tell you about the Facebook page for the series. If you are enjoying the show and would like to participate in some more interactive communication, I would love for you to come give a like and join in at www.facebook.com slash Anna Kavanaugh, Mad Science, Genetic Crossroad. And you can also follow along on Twitter at GMO Mad Science. And I'll hope to see you there. 
Thank you for listening to Mad Science, the Genetic Crossroad. Please join me every Tuesday for more on GMO. There will not be a show next Tuesday due to the Easter holiday, but I will be back on air with the broadcast the following week. That's Tuesday, April 29th. And we'll continue our conversation then with an episode named Synthetic Biology, the New Revolution. As we forge our way into the future, designing and constructing biological devices and systems for marketable purposes is no longer the stuff of science fiction, but quickly becoming the norm. Much more frightening is that it is rapidly being realized as the acceptable norm. What are the implications of what is being dubbed the new evergreen revolution, in which agribusiness meets synthetic biology to not only define the next step in GMO, but also our own evolution as a species? I hope you'll join me April 29th for our next broadcast. If we destroy nature, surely nature will destroy us. For while we may hold dominion over nature, we do not possess its wisdom. Until next time, be well, be healthy, and be informed. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.